Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. Hey, everyone. Welcome aboard another great episode of the Sing Second Sports Podcast. This is the Sheehy Lexus of Annapolis postgame report for our game on Saturday against the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Jack Cohn threw for 269 yards and a touchdown. Kyron Williams, who Bill Wagner told us to look out for, ran for two scores. One of them they called running for a score. He really just recovered a fumble in the end zone. Um, And then maybe... Yeah, Navy could really not get anything going and could not hold on in the fourth quarter. And a game that was 17-6 at the end of the third quarter and looked like it was something that we were going to, you know, possibly make a run at turned into a run away. And it ended uh, with us on the wrong side of a 34-6 defeat. Um, It was a great performance, as always. And I know I'm going to take this away from Wags and Ward and Chris really by the defense, like holding on. Um, but the big thing that, that stood out to me um, was in this particular team for Notre Dame, there were a couple of dudes who just made the disparity in size and talent all the more recognizable and understandable. And, and the first one was the nose tackle uh, Heinish for uh, Notre Dame, number 41, looked like a combination of J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald for, uh, I almost went Luke Donald from golf fame, Aaron Donald from the, uh, from the Los Angeles Rams. He was just unbelievable. Uh, and then their big offensive lineman, number 75, who I just called Mateus the entire day because, you know, the guy from the Rudy movie, number 75, who befriends Rudy after he, like, destroys him on one of those plays, was number 75. And, and really, between those two guys, not to oversimplify it, they were the examples of where we could not succeed on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. It seemed like every time we had something going, that number 41 came in and blew somebody up. Um, the, the, the push that the offensive line, particularly behind number 75, had was unbelievable. And then when Ty Lavatai got hurt um, and we gave up a couple of big plays, like the backbreaker at the end of the first half, uh, the big 70-yard touchdown pass. That's how we end up where we are. Wags, bring us through your initial um, you know, understanding of, of how Saturday went down before we go over to Ward. Well, John, you said it. Kurt Heinisch was a one-man wrecking crew. I mean, he's a 300-pounder, and he's athletic, and he was getting penetration and blowing up option plays before they even started. If you go back and look at the stats, Notre Dame's defensive front, Four, the, the down linemen accounted for 20 tackles amongst them. That tells you that very few Navy plays. That's a large percent of play, percentage of plays that aren't getting past the line of scrimmage. Um, obviously, to me, a big element of Navy, of Notre Dame's dominant defensive effort had to do with the fact they were changing their defensive front, which Brian Kelly has traditionally been an eight-man front guy 
He just rolls it out, eight-man front. You know, this is what we're going to do. You try to beat us. But in this instance, and remember that Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator for Notre Dame, had been at Cincinnati, and he played he played Navy twice. He got obliterated by the option the first time, and Cincinnati gave up 500 rushing yards, and Navy won 42-32. But then the following year, if you'll remember, Navy did nothing and in a 42-0 loss. So Freeman has experience against the option, and I think something that defensive coordinators are starting to pick up upon, John, is that Navy is setting at the line of scrimmage, and, and you, we have all seen this, whether it be on television or during home games, the entire offense looks over at the sideline. And basically, that's the coaching staff is looking at the defensive formation and they're sending in a play. So what Marcus Freeman was doing is he'd wait for Navy to send in a play and then he'd change the front real late. And so Navy was running into fronts, which they had not called the play for. So that was a major issue. And it's going to have to be something that's going to be fixed because other teams are going to start doing this. Um, but yeah, it's a dominant defensive effort. Isaac Ruas, the Navy fullback, the fact that he gained 73 yards, it was amazing. That was just great vision and hard, tough running because there was not much going on inside. It was tough sledding. And if you take away a couple big plays, you know, an 18-yard pitch out to Chance Warren, a 32-yard gain on a uh, – I'm starting to call him Mr. Reverse, Jaden Umbarger, Mr. Reverse, because he always takes at least one reverse a game, it seems, and, and gets big yardage. But if you take away those two gains of about 50 yards, and Navy had nothing, John. Yeah, I'll use this as the opportunity to go over to Ward. Um, hey, we finally got 18 yards uh, passing. Uh, that breaks a pretty long string of not having any passing yards. Xavier Arline had an 18-yard pass. Uh, he was one of three. Um, yeah, so from from where I sit, a lot of these things that we that we keep saying can't happen uh, happened. We didn't get a lot of first downs. I think we were like three for 15 on third down conversions. Um, yeah, the rushing yards. Okay, not the total that we need. I mean, we outgained Notre Dame 166 to 150. But, you know, Ward, it, it almost feels like one of those things, like we're so close. You know, we have these things, and then it's seven penalties in this game. It's, from where you sit, does it get frustrating, or is this something where we just have to be – we have to be patient and understand that this is a young team. It might be a little bit of a rebuild, to borrow a pro term. But – I don't know if we have a lot of grads out there who like the term rebuild, and I know that you don't, so I'll let you riff on it. So this is a refrain. The summary we just went over is a refrain. Defense keeps us in the game. We've got an anemic offense, special teams, gives up the big play. It's a refrain. And, you know, just the only difference is the opponent. What I know specifically in this game against the deft analysis you guys have already done for me, the second quarter took forever. I was thinking we can get out of this half with a 10 to three, one score deficit. And then they scored a couple more times. Right. And, and it was what at the half 17 to 17, three at the half. Um, and so it, it just wore on and, and just struck me that the second quarter uh, took the second half of the second quarter took forever. The other thing about to Wags's point about the 
O-line getting blown off the line of scrimmage, never mind executing the triple option in any meaningful way. The triple option was getting run down from behind. That's the worst form of a O-line that's getting blown off the line of scrimmage. You know, it never even reached the point where there was a read opportunity. Um, so that was frustrating. Um, the uh, other things before the that game, Army beat Air Force. So Wags mentioned tough sledding. Stand by for you know more of the same going forward in our calendar. You know we got a bye week, then ECU. I think that of the remaining games, that's the one that we may be able to uh, to compete in. Um, but I will tell you, Army is a powerful team. Coach Monk is riding a high. This game that we can all look towards, and when you hit the field at the Army-Navy game, we know it's always, you know, whatever atmosphere a team adopts at that point. We've seen a lot of things happen when they're favored, and I remember when I was a firstie, Eddie Myers and you know, Coach Welch, we were supposed to blow him out, and the game at the end of the day was a 3-3 tie. And Eddie fumbled the opening kickoff, and it just set the tone at that point. So we know that the Army-Navy game is always, uh, you know, anything can happen. But I will tell you what, the Army team this year looks really good. So, you know, it just gets harder from here. And uh, I have my concerns based on the performance on Saturday from where I stood the the Austin catch from from Cohen with 50 seconds left in the second quarter was a backbreaker it made it 17-3 we get to halftime Bijan kicks a 21 yard field goal a drive that I really thought should have ended with a touchdown and this is where I'm pointing to the turning point and that we had one of those customary drives all right the very first drive that we had where we scored 13 plays, only 36 yards, but still our time of possession was almost eight minutes. And then the third quarter drive, uh, ending with five minutes and 16 seconds left, Bijan from 21 yards. It was a 14-play, 71-yard drive. We had the ball for almost 10 minutes. I really thought that if we could have turned that into a touchdown and made it 17-10 halfway through the third quarter, we were good. And then, in my opinion, two things happened in addition to having to settle for the field goal. Uh, Ty Lavatai gets hurt. And then number two, I think they just run out of gas. And then it's just the sheer size um, of these dudes. And let me go back and, and include a bit of detail that I left out the first time. Number 75, his name is Josh Lug for Notre Dame. Perfect offensive lineman name. 67305. Um, I don't think we have a lot of those dudes running around Annapolis. So Chris, agree, disagree? Um, you know, or do you kind of agree with what you know, Ward was saying like that it's just a refrain and it's going to happen against whoever we're playing. I thought we were out of the game much earlier than that, John. Um, from where I sit, we we're, we're, do not run the triple option. At least it doesn't look like the triple option. Um, and it could be, you know, to Ward's point that it's blown up well before the quarterback has an opportunity to read. Um, and so therefore he's going with kind of what his first instinct was. Um, but I mean, th this I'm embarrassed to say that I thought we could win. I I, I really am. I mean, uh, I feel like I cost uh, people money because uh, I really did think to say nothing of sort of the points. I, I thought we were going to win. I thought we had a chance, you know, the way we played in the second half, 
against Tulsa, the way we played against Cincinnati in the first half, and the way we played against UCF, I thought we had a chance to win. We came out and just did not look good on the offensive side. The defense held, as you guys talked, but I mean, there's only so long that the defense can hold. And and so I, I feel like we embarrassed ourselves. And there'll be people that'll say, you, you know, I'm sure we'll hear from people that say, hey, that's unfair. That's that's not right. I, I felt like we embarrassed ourselves. It's not it's not what I expected. It's not what I want as a grad and as a donor. Um, and uh, I I don't know if I'm the first to say it on this podcast, but I'm ready to talk about blowing this thing up. I'm ready to talk about a major shakeup in the coaching staff. I'm ready to talk about a major shakeup in how we approach football for, for next year. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't think the world of Kenya Montalolo, that I don't think the world of Ivan Jasper, but this ain't working, boys. Um, and so I, I'm ready to try something different. One of the things that absolutely has to be blown up is the halftime show that included Jack Collinsworth and Corey Robinson. Let's blow that up and Jack Collinsworth's purple suit. Cool that Corey Robinson wore his uh, dad's bridge coat, but the rest of that was embarrassing. So, Ward, I'm going to have you kind of go right off of what Chris said, and then we're going to finish with Wags. What's your take on that? Because I, I didn't necessarily think it was embarrassing. I did think it was over. I just thought it would be closer and that maybe something crazy would happen in the fourth quarter, and then the fourth quarter was gonzo. We were we were out of it. So over to you before we finish with Wags. Well, the things we need to blow up or consider blowing up are the Navy Notre Dame game, you know, because let's be honest, it's not a rivalry and it, and every once in a while, episodically we win, but this is, this is not a rivalry. And I know we get teary eyed about the heritage piece from the 1940s, the first half of the 1940s, where we kept Notre Dame alive. And as a function of that, they agreed to play football against us in perpetuity. I will tell you to Chris's point, what I didn't feel any emotion about was when we sing each other's alma maters at the end and they're all arm in arm and all that. I felt nothing, you know, and they're all waxing poetic. The commentators about how this beauty, you know, Mike Tirico is going off on, on how, how awesome this is. I didn't feel anything because it had been such a lopsided game. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, ready to take a, another look at whether or not this rivalry should exist as, you know, sort of a automatic as we go into any given schedule going forward. I, I, I don't think Chris overstates to say it was embarrassing. Um, so, you know, let, let's have that conversation, uh, you know, and maybe that's heresy to even bring this up in that way. But I will just say that, I, I'm, I'm biased to, to getting emotional about hearing our alma mater sung in places like, you know, South Bend. And I, it just, you know, plus, as Wags knows from the lacrosse season, there's only one posture you should have when you're singing Navy Blue and Gold, and that's that attention with your hand over your heart. And this arm-in-arm -arm sway thing, I, I will tell you, as the angry old alum, I do not love it when that's what we do. So in any case, I just didn't feel like we earned any emotion for the that end of that game kind of a thing so you know that's my two cents on that well first of all with regard to ending the navy notre dame series that's not happening anytime soon because this past week they just announced a 10-year extension on that and they also announced and we should note on this pod that navy notre dame will be played in ireland in 2023 and that's notable because that's a Notre Dame home game. 
And I think that's way of Notre Dame making up for the fact that Navy lost a home game, uh, even though it's not really a home game. It's always at an NFL stadium. But Notre Dame giving up a home game against Navy is very notable. First time it's ever happened in series history, but they wanted to get back to Ireland. And I'm sure there's also talk of some revenue sharing because remember that when when Navy is the home team, Navy gets the gate a large percentage. I don't know exactly how they split it up, but that is a big money-making uh, operation for Navy is a home game against Notre Dame. That's why Navy shops it to NFL stadiums all the time. So 2023 back in Dublin, Ireland, 10-year extension. Uh, Navy Notre Dame's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, I will, in my earlier commentary, I failed to talk about the defense. Brian Newberry does deserve great credit. There were five total stops. There were four punts forced and a turnover on downs. That was when John Marshall, the linebacker, came off the edge on a very well-timed blitz and dropped cone for a big loss. That was a turnover on downs. So five stops of Notre Dame in a game is the best Navy's done since something like 2012. So no, the defense gave the offense a chance. And, you know, I think every Navy fan will agree there's something wrong with the offense. And it's probably a lot of things put together. It's subpar quarterback play. I mean, what does Navy need more than anything? Another Keenan Reynolds. Uh, a big-time quarterback who can learn how to read the triple option and execute it. That's what the way it's supposed to be. Um, so you got subpar quarterback play. Uh, it looks to me like the quarterbacks are unable to read the option at the line of scrimmage and make the correct calls and get the ball where it should be. And that's why the coaching staff is calling plays. And that's not triple option. That's predetermined play calling. And so Chris is right. We're not running the triple option. Um, so that's, that's problem number two. So to fix problem number one, you got to get a quarterback who can read it and execute it. And then you can go back to calling triple option plays where you don't know until you get to the line of scrimmage, whether it's going to be a gift to the fullback, a quarterback keep, or a pitch to the slot back. That's the way it's supposed to be. Um, so there's, uh, you know, a lot to digest here, I don't know what's happened to the offense. Is it that defenses are catching up with the option? Navy's in a conference now. These teams, they go against it every year. They're putting in practice time devoted to the option. Is that the issue? I don't know. But clearly, and this has been going on for three years minus the 2019 season when Malcolm Perry played Superman, the offense is in the tank and something's got to change. So, Wags, I, to that point, just to be very clear, the variable that needs to be fixed is the quarterback. We're not going to get bigger linemen. Triple option works. We've even seen that this year. When there is a read, it's a five-yard gain. So it's all about the quarterback. And the defenses are not catching up with the triple option. We're just not executing the triple option. So I, I think the only way a surface academy is going to make a mark is with a triple option scheme. You heard the Notre Dame guys sort of wave their hands about, oh, every year we're scared of the triple option and playing Navy because we don't know. And we never execute the triple option. So there was nothing to be afraid of ultimately. 
you know, and, and so I, I think this is down to one variable and, and that's the thing that has to be fixed. So when we get to the quarterback play specific, this is where I get torn, right? I mean, we have two very different quarterbacks, three very different quarterbacks, but two primary quarterbacks right now that are different in size, different in capability. I just refuse to believe that both of these guys are are falling short, right? I mean, th- this is why I go back on, there's something about how this is being run in practice. There's something about how these guys are being developed that isn't working, Bill says we need another Keenan Reynolds. That's great. I don't know where you get another Keenan Reynolds. I don't know where you get another Malcolm Perry. I think you got to bring in guys and you got to teach them to, to run the system. And if you can't, then you have to really look at, okay, how are we spending our time with our, our, our guys? It, it's not like we have somebody sitting on the bench who is the obvious uh you know, the obvious heir apparent. So th- this is where where I become, you know, anxious because I like both of those guys, right? As we all do, they give 100%. Um, wh- where this becomes problematic is when it's obvious that the 100% isn't working. Um, that's where I come to the, maybe you got to shake the Etch-A-Sketch and start over. Yeah, I think these are all great points, gents. I, I, I do believe that it's definitely panic time as if it weren't already, you know, we have to look at this bye week as an opportunity to get tie healthy, figure out the triple option, make sure no one gets hurt, take it to a vulnerable ECU team, hopefully go up to Philly over Thanksgiving weekend and put it on temple and end this season on a good note uh, so that we do not run into that buzzsaw, which I believe is actually a buzzsaw in the form of army West point. Um, you know, to, to Wags's point, they looked very good against Air Force. I'll end by saying this. I thought the coverage overall, all joking aside about uh, Collinsworth and his suit, that NBC, Catherine Tappan, they do an amazing job the entire week. Um, and the features that they had and the coverage that they had during the game, hats off to them. I thought it was amazing. On that note, still staying with football, uh, as we record this on Monday, yesterday, Fox, the Sunday NFL uh, pregame show, was right there in T-Court. Uh, we put some Instagram stuff out on that. If you haven't seen their intro and then also Tom Rinaldi's essay about Travis Manning and Brendan Looney, you better stop everything you're doing right now. In fact, pause this pod right, and go and watch, watch Tom Rinaldi's essay on Brendan Looney and Travis Mannion. It'll change you. I've known the story forever and I've heard at least 20 times it told in various forms of journalism and Tom Rinaldi destroyed it. Uh, John, I cried like a, not to that I cried yeah. like a baby. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was really choked up. Um, yes. Yes. I, I mean, I just, uh, man, it, the it, other it, thing, the other thing is Terry Bradshaw savaging Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> saying that if he'd gone yes. to the Naval Academy, he'd know not to lie, and the mids cheering. I thought that uh, was brilliant. It was a fantastic job by by NFL on Fox. But I agree, John. If you haven't seen that Tom Rinaldi, you know, short piece, and I agree with Chris, I, I cried like a baby, and I, I, you know, I was still on active duty for for Brendan's first two years at Navy, watched him play lacrosse. Um, yep, and, you and uh, me both. <laughs> we do that tournament every year out at Queenstown. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, uh, that was an amazing, poignant, powerful thing. So good on NFL on Fox for doing that. 
Hey, John, also hats off to, I mean, and you would know this better. Uh, I guess it's a combination of NAAA, the, the hall, the, you know, the, the soups office. I mean, all of the people that helped put that together. I mean, I really was proud, um, both as a veteran and as an alum, uh, with how everything came together. It, I mean, there were the serious moments. Um, there were the mids being mids. There was the interaction. It, it just was a great show. So hats off to everybody that had a role uh, in, in putting that together. Hats off, literally. I mean, I can't possibly tell you how much hard work that was for Alana Garris, the PAO, and her staff, all of Larson Hall all of the ops officers uh, uh, office there in Bancroft Hall. So hats off to them. Um, so, hey, uh, that's that's the Notre Dame, Notre Dame game wrap. When we come back, we're going to give you a little bit of insight on how men's soccer did, what they have ahead, what the rest of the week has lying ahead, including this esteemed group getting together for the first ever in-person pod recording that we always had in mind when we first started this before COVID was a thing. That's coming up this week. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll take it out. This is Sing Second Sports. If you're looking for more in-depth coverage of Navy football, check out Bill Wagner, Keenan Reynolds, and Eric Catani on the Believe Podcast Network. That's B-L-E-A-V, Believe. They do a recap show that looks just at the week that was in Navy football. And then they do a pod later in the week that looks ahead at the upcoming game. You can find that podcast and it's called Believe in Navy Football, B-L-E-A-V in Navy Football. You can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. So in addition to Sing Second Sports, check out Believe in Navy Football. Thanks again for listening to Sing Second Sports. A special thank you to our sponsors, Academy Consulting, Dry 85 and Red Red Wine Bar, The Graduate Hotel, and Sheehy Lexus of Annapolis. Now back to the pod. Hey, hey, we are back. Uh, Great conversation about Notre Dame. Very excited about eventually taking the Sing Second Sports train. Well, it would have to be a plane to uh, Ireland for the 2023 a variant of the rivalry. Hopefully um, we can put together a better product on the field and actually have something that we can celebrate post-game there. Um, But again, great conversation and really appreciate the insight that Wags has as he's just coming back from Chicago. And hey, let's take the bye week, get it right, and and go from there. So what happened uh, this past weekend and what's coming up on the in the week ahead? Number one, got a shout out to Louis Nicolau. Um, who got a picture with Howie Long, Villanova grad, yet um, way to represent Coach Nicolau um, by being able to uh, see the Fox, uh, you know, the Fox presentation there in T-Court and then go up and beat Bucknell 8-7. A great, great win for Coach Nicolau and the team. They had dropped the, uh, the uh, day-night doubleheader uh, the day before, uh, losing to Fordham, but defeating Wagner, but then getting a really crucial win uh, against Bucknell, 8-7. So hats off to Coach Nicolau. And then men's soccer, never say die. Um, they had lost to American that pushed them out of the bye, uh, pushed them into a you know winner-take-all quarterfinal, obviously, and they go up to Lehigh and win 1-0. Uh, that sets them up against American in the Patriot League semifinals at 1 p.m. tomorrow, Tuesday, in Washington, D.C. 
Chris Cervello and I will bring you the live action, live Instagrams from the only soccer facility in the Patriot League without lights. Come on, boys, get to the 21st century there in Northwest D.C. Um, one more thing we'd really like to pub big next week, Wednesday at 5 p.m. If you're in town, uh, please come by Dry 5 in Annapolis. Dry 5 owned by Brian and Lisa Bolter, huge fans of the pod, huge supporters of the Naval Academy and sponsors here. We, they are hosting us for our first ever get together with our pod kit. You know, the, the microphones, we've never had a chance to do this all together uh, the way that we hatched the possibility back before COVID. So now we're going to do this on Wednesday. And if you come by Dry 5 in Annapolis, we have a bunch of tickets that have been provided to us by Matt Munley and, and AAA. And if you come up and find us in the back room doing the Sing Second Sports Podcast between 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Wednesday, you will get tickets to the Veterans Classic where Navy is taking on the Virginia Tech Hokies right around 8.30 p.m. whenever the first game ends. That's on Friday, the Veterans Classic. More to follow on that as we start pushing that throughout the week. So basketball preview pod tomorrow, live pod or live to tape pod at Dry 5 on Wednesday, Veterans Classic on Friday, a great week ahead for Ward, for Wags, for Chris Cervello. I am John Schofield. This has been a great pod. We will see you tomorrow. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of the podcast segments.